Physics World. Imagine you're a student attending your first scientific conference. It's going pretty well. You went to a great talk this morning, and when you asked the speaker a question, their answer was really helpful. In fact, you think it might help crack the problem you've been working on for months. Now you've got a couple of hours before the evening poster session, so you pull out the conference program and check your schedule. Oh, it's time for the conference's networking session. I'm Margaret Harris, Physics World's Reviews and Careers Editor, and in this edition of the Physics World podcast, we'll be talking about scientific networking, what it is, what it isn't, and how you can do it better. First, let's clear up some misconceptions. Most people do not exactly understand what networking is. They erroneously think that networking is schmoozing or trying to mine somebody's brain for a job. Elena Levine is a science careers consultant and author of the book Networking for Nerds. I spoke to her at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS. Networking is actually, what can I do for you? That's what networking is about. So definition of networking is a spectrum of activities that begins with the first point of contact, that first time that we meet, whether it's on the internet, virtually, at a conference, or what have you. And it aims for a mutually beneficial partnership where we're both delivering value in myriad ways and forms over time. And it ends when one or both of us drop dead. Aside from the dropping dead part, all of that sounds pretty good. So I asked Levine why scientists sometimes struggle with networking. So I think part of the reason that scientists have trouble with networking or they think that it's something bad is because, first of all, we as scientists were not taught at any point in our career the importance of networking or what networking is. In fact, we're not taught anything about marketing or sales or self-promotion. Instead, what we're told is that, you know, in science, you can't sell yourself or you're not supposed to sell because science is pure. Science is about knowledge discovery and knowledge creation. And so there's no salesmanship in science. But the reality is, is that when I write a grant proposal to an organization to get funding, I'm not writing... My science sucks, so please give me $7 million. I'm writing, my science is interesting, and it will have impact for these reasons, and that's why you should invest in it. That in and of itself is a sales document. That's a marketing endeavor. And so that's what I want people to understand is that you can't be successful in science without networking because through networking, you get access to new sources of inspiration who can help you solve your scientific problem in an innovative way. The idea that networking can help solve scientific problems got an enthusiastic thumbs up from another AAAS attendee, the association's chief executive, the physicist and former U.S. congressman, Rush Holt. I think it's a rare scientist who is successful as a recluse. Most successful science depends on interaction with other people, collaborators, competitors, uh, or just acquaintances. And I think every scientist realizes that sooner or later. And the sooner that a student realizes that, the better. So if you're attending your first scientific conference, how can you make the most of it? Here's Levine again with some practical advice. 
So number one, when you are going to a conference, know that everybody is also going to that same meeting for the same purpose. And it's not for the free food, although that is fabulous. And it's not for the free swag. It's because they want to network. Now, in advance of the conference, what I like to do is make a schedule for myself. So I will make appointments with people a few weeks in advance. Usually anywhere from three to four weeks is when I start emailing people that I see looking at the scientific program. I see they're going to be speaking or I know that they're going to be at this conference because they're a member of that community. This conference can serve as a way for me to connect with them. So I can email Dr. X and say, hey, not hey, but dear Dr. X, will you be attending this conference? So will I? Could we have a coffee appointment? I'd love to meet with you. And uh, and oftentimes they're very open to that opportunity because they're looking for collaborators too. Another thing that I like to do once I'm at the conference is I will definitely take advantage of as many quote-unquote networking events that the conference is having. So if they're having mixers, if they're having receptions and parties, I will go to those and I will try to reach out to people that I see standing alone because just like with dating nobody wants to be alone on the dance floor if I see somebody at a mixer and they're by themselves they're going to be wanting to talk to me just as much as I'm going to want to talk to them another really effective tactic that I've used to meet people is I'll come to the talks anywhere from five to ten minutes early this tactic by the way is very useful for introverts and people who are shy so you come to the the talk early there'll usually be a handful of people that are already in the audience waiting for the talk to begin and I'll sit near the person I won't sit next to them because that's I'm not stalking them I'm just gonna sit near them and I'm gonna say hi my name is Elena Levine what do you do and I'm gonna start a conversation with them because there's nothing going on we're all waiting for the same speaker so we could even talk about the speaker and the best part about this type of networking is that there's an expiration date and time because as soon as the speaker begins talking you both have to shut the heck up i also try when they, when it's lunchtime ideally don't eat alone at any conference if at all possible just try and find somebody who has the name tag from the conference eating by themselves you might as well ask them do you mind if i join you and very rarely will somebody say no get the hell away from me <laughs> and then my final tip uh, that i use for networking is if i'm going to be giving a talk or a poster at a conference what i'll do is i'll put a sticker on the back of my business card that has the date, the time, the title, and the location of my talk or my poster. So that as I meet you at a mixer or in the registration disc or wherever, even in the hallway, I can say, oh, so nice to meet you, by the way, and I'll turn over my business card. I'm going to be giving this talk. I'm going to be giving this poster. This is where it is. This is when it is. This is what's on. I'd love for you to attend. I wasn't giving a talk or a poster at AAAS, so I couldn't follow Levine's last suggestion but I'd already taken her first piece of advice by arranging to see her at the meeting. So, as an experiment, I tried the rest of her tips as well. I went to networking events. I arrived early to talks. I struck up conversations with strangers. I even tried to break my habit of treating lunch as something you cram in as quickly as possible before heading off to the next talk. And for the most part, it went well. I had some really interesting conversations. I exchanged a lot of business cards... And then I had an awkward lunch with a stranger who, to be honest, probably just wanted to be left alone. But win or lose, Levine explains that all of this conference networking is really just the beginning. Above and beyond conferences themselves, you meet me at the conference, we have to continue that conversation. We have to continue the exploration if the networking is going to be truly efficient. It's not just hello, goodbye, and then never talking to me again. That's a waste of time. Levine suggests that after you meet someone at a conference, the next step is to send them a follow-up email. But what do you actually write? Surely it's got to be something more than just, nice to meet you. Here are some more substantial suggestions. 
Number one, I'm going to give you something uh, new, give you some new information about a field that I might have just found out. Like maybe I read a new article or a paper or I saw a talk or a video. I'm going to give you that link so that you can be informed about that. Number two, I'm going to show you that I've been keeping tabs on your career development. And I'm going to say, hey, I saw you won the Nobel Prize. That's so wonderful. Congratulations. Number three, I'm going to introduce new information about myself. You know, hey, since we met or since we last spoke, I won the Nobel Prize. I wanted you to know, and I'm hoping you'll join me in Scandinavia this winter. You know, and then finally, the fourth thing that you can include in an email is an action item. And the action item should not be something that requires the other party to write a thesis. It should require about 30 seconds of brain power, because otherwise they won't respond to it. But an action item could be something like, I read your paper. I thought it was interesting that you picked X over Y for your methodology. What led you to that? Or why was X more important? than Y, or have you looked at Y rather than X in the past? So something quick, if at all possible. You can combine all of those into multi-dimensional emails, but the idea is to keep the conversation going. As you progress through your career, of course, the nature of that conversation is going to change. As it does, the networks you're in will also change, a point that was brought home to me in a conversation with a AAAS president, Jerry Richmond. The way I, I look at it, in your career there are three levels of networks and the first level of network is uh, your friends or social interactions the people that are, it could be your family but also just colleagues in the laboratory that you're really best friends with you go out to dinner you um, share your concerns with you and celebrate your victories and then there's a second level of networking that's also important and at the early stage of your career you're looking at that network as one you need to move into because those are the people that are going to review your papers. They're the ones that are going to be at your talks. They're going to listen to uh, evaluate what you're doing right now. And so you need to network with those people to give yourself credibility. And then I think um, as you go on in your career and you start to get established, and maybe even five years into your first job or 10 years into your first job or 30 years into your first job, that you're looking for what I should do next. And that next may be... Um, you know, a different job, it may be a different circle of friends, it may be um, just a different level in your career. And so getting into that network is then what I call the aspirational network, and that's where you want to go. To someone about to take their first plunge into the networking pool, the thought of having an aspirational network might sound pretty intimidating. But think back to what you've done already at your first conference. You went to a talk. You asked the speaker a question you got a helpful answer. Maybe you could send the speaker an email to thank them, tell them more about what you're working on, even ask a follow-up question. If you do, congratulations. You're networking. Hmm. Maybe this networking thing isn't so scary after all. So you take a deep breath, push open the door, and walk into a whole room full of opportunities. I'm Margaret Harris, and you've been listening to the Physics World Podcast. Thanks to my guests, Elena Levine, author of Networking for Nerds, AAAS Chief Executive Rush Holt, and AAAS President Jerry Richmond. And thank you for listening. Happy networking. Physics World.